Welcome to High Energy Health, where together we explore the leading edge of wellness and happiness. I'm your host, Dawson Church. By choosing this time together, you're declaring your commitment to a positive mindset, elevated emotions, and a great life. Thanks for joining me for today's episode. Hello and welcome to High Energy Health. My name is Dawson Church, and each week on the show, I bring you information at the leading edge of wellness, health, happiness, and things you can do to really improve your life. It so strikes me that people today are in the middle of making big choices for their life. And those big choices are really critical. For example, if you choose a healthy lifestyle, if you choose to exercise, have a great diet, fresh water, high quality food, just that is going to shift your health outcome long term. It'll actually nudge your gene expression certain ways, and it'll result in much healthier gene expression. For example, the upregulation of genes that promote a control of inflammation and increase in immunity. So in some of my research, I've studied this and we literally see that what you eat is triggering changes in gene expression. But I was once on a show and the, the host asked me, Dawson, if you had to choose between either positive thinking or great food, and you're going to choose one or the other. So either you're going to do positive thinking and that's what you make your discipline, or you're going to get quality food, but not both. So you can get quality food and no positive thinking or positive thinking, no quality food. Which would you choose? And I said, without a moment's hesitation, I choose thinking, positive thinking, because we're showing now that this triggers the, the things you do to support a healthy consciousness, like meditation, like time in nature, like grounding, like surrounding yourself with positive media, positive messages, makes an enormous difference in your genome, in your telomere length, and the length of the telomeres that are at the end of your DNA, that are the, the most important single marker of aging. And so it makes a difference in cognitive decline, cognitive state, brain size. I'm writing a new book now, which involves a lot of work on brain size. And people who do this literally have, you get a bigger brain for longer. So the brains of 80-year-olds who are meditators are bigger than the brains of 80-year-olds who are not. So it's having dramatic effects on your well-being. So I do the show every week, and I do it to encourage you to make those choices. Choose those things that will support you having a long, healthy, and did I not mention happy life? The level of well-being and bliss that you can experience in these states is truly remarkable. It's so far from the norm that I have trouble even explaining it in my books. Like I talk about sometimes the analogy of, of a basketball player, an athlete who can jump, say, a meter off the ground, which some top athletes can. But the difference in happiness studies of people who are hitting these advanced states of consciousness, you can in meditation, it's more like sevenfold. That's like the athlete that can jump seven meters off the ground. A really impossible feat physically, but we see in the MRIs and EEGs of these masters, they are extraordinarily happy. But when you're doing all of these techniques, 
weeks, you aren't just feeling better, you're also feeling dramatically happier. And I want you to listen to High Energy Health each week with a notepad or with a device and make notes and apply the tools and techniques we talk about here in your life. I care about you. That's why I'm doing this show every week. I care about your well-being and I want you to care enough about your own well-being to take notes and apply these things to your life. They can make an enormous difference. And so think about that sevenfold increase in happiness. If nothing else, that's worth going for. So make high energy health part of your weekly routine, and you'll find that you get all kinds of information and inspiration and wisdom here that can make a big difference. My guest today is Shai Tubali. And as I was looking at his work before the show, I was so amazed at both where he began and where he is now. He also, aside from having a real sense very early in life that living a consciously lived life was the only thing that really interested him. So imagine that, you know, just waking up to being conscious and having that as your primary focus in life every day. He also has moved that into the field of academic research, as well as writing and educating people. He's also now working with the University of Leeds on programs to actually measure these kinds of states. So you'll find all of these angles into his work interesting, and I know you'll really enjoy our conversation. So I'm so glad you're here. And Shai, thank you for joining us. I'm happy to be here, Dawson. It's wonderful to have you here. And as I was just looking at your, your mission, your work, your books, your approach. I wanted to just focus before we go to that moment when you realize that primary interest you had in your life was awakening. Yes. Um, what led up to that? Well, there, there was, I would say that there were just certain social fears that I was experiencing even in the presence of my friends, my best friends. And then I had this thought, how come I have experienced this type of fear even among my best friends? There has to be some kind of, uh, of a deeper solution to that because this simply doesn't make sense. And there was also this kind of strange, completely unreasonable calling, responding to, to certain Zen books and, uh, and cert certain scriptures and certain uh, meditation books. There were certain sentences, certain statements uh, about uh, how one can become one with the universe. And these sentences, without really understanding why, really thrilled me and touched me to the core. So um, without any rational reasoning, I felt the urge to, to leave everything behind. And there was what uh, to leave behind because I was a novelist and a journalist. And the, the more I moved into the spiritual journey, the less I was able to do the previous things that I used to do. And the, the things that I used to write about were simply impossible to write about. So you find yourself just not being interested in those same topics once you began to move along that journey? Completely, completely. There was simply a, a major calling, something that on the other side, calling me from the dimension of the timeless, of the limitless, of the, the deathless. And which masters were the ones whose words you found yourself responding to the most strongly? It started with, uh, with Osho, who was a, a rather controversial 20th century <laughs> spiritual teacher. I didn't realize that back then. I was just uh, deeply touched by his words of wisdom and guidelines on how to meditate. But I would say that the, that the greatest source of inspiration was the 20th century spiritual teacher. I, I wouldn't call him spiritual teacher. He would be very angry if, I, if he heard 
<laughs> if you heard me speak in this way, the mystic and philosopher Jiddu Krishnamurti. And actually, eventually, when I turned to the academic research, I dedicated the, my PhD to his work and to his uh, specific method of transforming people, transforming his discussions through a transformative dialogue. Yeah, and I know that people wanted Krishnamurti to be the next leader of the Theosophical Society. They groomed him in that role, and he rejected the whole thing, the whole, the whole guru experience, and all the authority that came with it. So, yeah. He, uh... Exactly, exactly. He boldly threw the whole thing away, and instead he took a, a very uh, revolutionary, and actually for, for many people, incomprehensible uh, approach that negated any techniques, any processes and any path whatsoever, which I would say uh, pretty uh, much opposes what I, I have done in my book, The Complete Book of Meditation, because there I provide people with so many types of techniques. Yeah, and of course, the great monastic traditions, the, those great paths have very distinct milestones you pass through, and they recommend you do certain things at different times. And so they're, they're highly technique-driven, and it's exactly. a, pretty, a pretty bold approach to throw them all, all away. <laughs> yes, uh, un unless, and this is what I strove to, to demonstrate in my research, unless you understand what he does as another form of technique, another form of practice. Because what Krishnamurti uh, used to do was pretty fascinating. If, for instance, you, you would come to him and ask Krishnamurti, what is the meaning of life? Then... He would insist the usual approach is to provide the student with an answer, right? The guru, the authority uh, knows. But then Krishnamurti uh, claimed that this conditions us. This limits, the, narrows the pathways of our brain and makes us repeat the patterns of memory, which means that we forever repeat what we already know. We never really enable the renewal of the brain. Krishnamurti actually of the transmutation of the brain cells. He believed that one could actually revolutionize or um, renew the brain cells and destroy the old ones and to create a sort of a new brain, a brain that, that is past free. So what he used to do was to hold the question and to keep negating whatever answer is discussant would would provide until they came to a state where there was simply freedom and silence and true listening. But you say that in your work, you actually do recommend specific techniques? Oh, yes, yes, yes. I, I think that what Krishnamurti did was uh, mostly impossible for most of us human beings who do require a, a certain processes, certain, a certain gradation. I think what you offered was too immediate, too demanding, and we do need to, to start with something, with certain objects of meditation. You know, I've been intrigued by this, this question because I've read quite a few of the modern mystics, and some of them say the same thing, as Krishna Murti said. Like, there's one called David Karst who wrote a book called Perfect Brilliant Stillness, and he hmm. compares awakening to a ladder you climb up, and eventually you get over, you just kind of scale the wall of human ego, and you're on this, this elevated level, and then you throw away the ladder and you're there. And what he says is that the ladder disintegrates at that point, that what worked for you won't work for the next person. You have to go find your own method. Uh, Carl McCullman, too, in a book called The Big Book of Christmas Mysticism, he says the same thing. You can never have a, uh, a structured approach. Other people have highly structured approaches. Yes. And one of, the, one of the things I've wondered is whether 
like this one teacher now right now who was what he calls effortless mindfulness. He says he, yes. when, he, when he just began to do it effortlessly, but he just dumped all his techniques and began trying. I, I'm thinking, well, that's great, but how long had he been practicing techniques before you dumped them? I mean, those, I think, got him a long way along the road toward effortlessness. At a certain point, it does become effortless, but there was a decades of practice before that. That, that's, you know, you're, you're touching here on a certain debate that has been going on since thousands of years, actually, hundreds of years. For instance, if you take uh, the, the debate uh, in Buddhism between the uh, proponents of sudden enlightenment, this is how they call it. For instance, if you take uh, Zen Buddhism or if you take uh, Vajrayana Buddhism, they speak of the, the Mahamudra tradition. They say you are already you are already free, and all you have to realize is exactly that. Therefore, there there can be no path. There there can there can only be the the removal of all the illusion that hinders your realization that you are already free. Now, of course, this is paradoxical because because <laughs> even to realize that you are already free, then you sit in a monastery, right, for decades trying to reach this sudden enlightenment. And also, uh, <laughs> also Krishnamurti's students, uh, I know uh, firsthand uh, from interviews that uh, they used to sit with him for decades, not really understanding and, and really struggling to reach this moment, what he called insight, you see? In both cases, there, there has to be a process involved. Students of other teachers have been striving for years and years and years and never reached that that effortless enlightenment stage. So <laughs> it is a paradox. Exactly, exactly, exactly. Yes, yes. I I, th I think that there is more the the basic question of how you perceive yourself as a, in terms of self image. You know that there is in in Vajrayana Buddhism there is a wonderful uh, technique that is actually more than a technique. It's something that you pra you should practice all day long. And it is called deity yoga. And in deity yoga, you visualize yourself, you begin to think of yourself as an already fully blossomed Buddha. And so whatever you do, whatever you say, whatever you think, the, the way you walk is like the, the Buddha that you envisioned yourself to be, you see? A certain statement. It's, the, it's either you start with the self-image of a seeker longing to one day become enlightened, or you are beginning to assimilate this trust that you are an already uh, fully awakened Buddha. You just don't know it. You see? Yeah. Yeah. And it's interesting to have these debates and then, of course, have to realize for yourself. But the ultimate guide is experience because it's that old hermetic saying, famous saying to, to the person who has had the experience, no explanation is necessary. To the person who has not had the experience, no explanation is possible. <laughs> <laughs> Exactly. And exactly. So the experience was your that finding moment when you realized that was your primary direction in your human life. Yes, exactly. This happened at the age of twenty-three, which was perhaps in a way too young. I don't think I could I could really comprehend. I wasn't prepared for that at all. I was trying really hard. If we're talking about trying really hard there for two years to grasp. The, the enlightened state, I, I even remember how I would imagine myself <laughs> being enlightened. And then after a few hours, I would realize that this was just nonsense. I was just uh, fooling myself. But then at the age of 23, I attended a, a silence retreat with my spiritual teacher. At that time, a former Israeli teacher. At a certain point, I just looked into myself 
It was a, it was a very simple moment on, of honesty, of sincerity. Couldn't even plan it. And I looked into myself and, and, I, and I simply looked for search for this self, you see? This self that we always imagine that, that there is there a completely solid, completely continuous. And suddenly I couldn't trace this center. All of the chain of my memories uh, uh, from early childhood until then uh, broke. There was no, no more that thread that connected all these memories. And at that moment, when, when I realized that, that the self was an illusion, it's not that, that I, I killed the ego. I didn't destroy anything because there was nothing to destroy. There was nothing there in the first place. And that was a moment of, of such tremendous relief and joy and ecstasy. This center that dissolved seemed to spread in all directions. This sense of I suddenly was everywhere. You see, I saw it in the uh, rocks and I saw it in the sky and I saw it in people and I saw it everywhere. That then began, at that point, the celebration began, a cosmic celebration. There was a sense of complete universality and unconditional love and unconditional joy, unconditional passion. And for one year, I stayed in my room, not speaking to anyone because I was just completely baffled. So you had that one year of just being in the experience. We'll pick up more after a break, go to a brief break right now, and we'll come back. You're listening to High Energy Health. For more on Shai's story, go to his website, shaitubali.com. I'm going to spell it for you as well. It's S-H-A-I-T-U-B-A-L-I, shaitubali.com. You're listening to High Energy Health. We'll be back right after a break. And welcome back to High Energy Health. I'm your host, Dawson Church. As you can tell, I'm really happy. I'm really happy to be connecting with you. I'm really happy to be being in this space with you. I'm happy to be alive every day. I know that for me, just the act of breathing every day is just so awesome. I can hardly even believe it. I'll wake up in the morning, I'll meditate. And just the fact you get to walk, you get to breathe, you get to sit, you get to be, is overpoweringly wonderful. So that leads to this remarkable state of happiness that pre-frames your day. So I really encourage you to start your day this way. There are so many ways to meditate. It's actually hard to find a way not to meditate with all the things going on right now. There are so many apps, there are so many books, there's so many free programs, and just go ahead and grab those. If you want to get my free meditation method, you can go to ecomeditation.com. We now have MRI research showing that within one month of you doing that, you have measurable changes in the anatomy of your brain. Your brain's literally changing its anatomy with the parts that make up your story and keep you suffering, dialing down, and the parts that make you compassionate, just uh, dramatically increasing their activity. S-H-A-I-T-U-B-A-L-I, shytubali.com. So, shy. You had this overwhelming feeling of unconditional joy, love, and you then also, because you didn't have a lot of responsibilities at 23, could go spend a year and just bask. <laughs> 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 state. 
And wow, what a! I'm just so glad you got that experience. Just really inhabit that space for a long time. And then, what did you do after that year? Well, after that year, I remember that very vividly. I stood on a junction. I had two options. One was to renounce the world, which was, to be honest, very tempting. Because just just to immerse myself in this infinite silence, and the other was to commit myself to to helping others to alleviate their suffering. And I knew in my heart of hearts like, <laughs> that I, that I didn't really have a choice. And then I felt I uh, came out to the world and uh, and began to uh, to speak again rather uh, spontaneously. After a few years, I I started being frustrated. Because I realized that I was speaking out of this ecstasy, and even hoping that that people will somehow simply respond to it and and join in the celebration. But people couldn't understand that they, they admired the state I was speaking about, but they couldn't get in touch with it. That prompted me to begin a different phase in my life, and that was striving to develop the the best methods I could imagine to enable people to experience this very same state firsthand, so they know what it is, and second, to be able to use these higher states of consciousness not just for abstract reasons of inner stillness, but also to be able to use these states to affect a certain dimensions. Of their life, for instance, their traumatic memories, their ability to make better decisions, their ability to cope with uh, with overwhelming challenges. So that was the the second phase. Curious about that because there is a group. I, I'm very involved with neuroscientists, and there's a group of them that says that mm. if you hit these states of consciousness and you haven't healed trauma, they often lead to a dark night of the soul. If you have healed trauma, then usually you don't have that experience. But the dark night of the soul essentially is trauma surfacing after a transformational experience like that. So how do you see the relationship between those experiences and the trauma that many people have below the surface? Well, I, I see these as processes that need to take place at the same time, not something that, that you have to begin with trauma healing or that you should bypass trauma and hope for a transcendence without taking care of these roots. You see, so for me, this is what I did with my method called the extension method. This is a method, first of all, it helps you to very quickly reach a profound meditative state, a state of limitlessness without needing to ordinary difficulties in meditation. So this works even for, for beginners. They, uh, after a very short while, they experience what it means to and what it feels to be uh, like to be a Buddha uh, when they are Buddhas and awakened Buddhas. So this is one. But then it helps you not only to meditate more deeply, but we use this in order to return to a, to a traumatic moment, but from the uh, from the higher state of consciousness. When you are uh, immersed uh, or in the, the higher or broader state of consciousness, you are free, inherently free. And because you are free, because you are tapping into a certain state which which uh, forever been unaffected by time and memory, to a certain degree, you have you encounter a place in yourself that has never been traumatized. So then, from this place which has never been traumatized, we return to the trauma. 
return to the experience and people are, are shocked because suddenly they, they are not afraid to get in touch with the trauma. They're not afraid because they have a certain neutral or transcendent perspective that enables them to unravel all the memory connections that have, have been weaved ever since that traumatic moment. So they are able to pour the, the presence of the higher state of consciousness into that moment, which they, of course, uh, at that time experienced in a very narrow, confined sense of self. That's amazing. So when they experienced it, that trauma, they were in that narrow, confined sense of self. That's what they knew. When they have moved to those places where they're unaffected, not in time and memory, and then they return to the trauma, the returning in the context of that, that experience now of that greater self. When we get back, exactly. to break, we'll explore this further, but that's a really remarkable way to, to see it and to heal. And I really appreciate you for articulating it so, so clearly. For more on Shai's work, go to his website, shaitubali.com. You're listening to High Energy Health. We'll be right back after a break. Hello and welcome back to High Energy Health. I'm so happy to be here with you. I'm glad you're here for yourself. I'm glad you're experiencing this. And isn't it wonderful? We give ourselves time, energy, and focus to do things like listen to these examples of these elevated states and imagine ourselves going there and being there and then knowing we have tools. We have the things we can do. We can set aside that 10 minutes in the morning, that half hour in the morning, and give ourselves that space of connection with something greater than, than yourself that then becomes the context for your whole day. So I'm so glad you're here. I'm so glad you're contextualizing this day by listening to High Energy Health and giving yourself that time in consciousness and in your thoughts to really be in this place with us and take a break from everything else going on out there. Please make it part of your regular routine. And for more on Shai's work, please go to his website, shaitubali.com. Shai, that concept that we can move in these elevated states beyond memory, beyond time, beyond all our suffering, right. experience them, experience ourselves as that, and then move back into dealing with our trauma from that perspective in that context is a powerful one. I, I wanted you to sh maybe share a story of someone who did that and the difference it made for them. Yes, well, we, we just had a, a, the recent case of a young woman who was raped while, while having a gun attached to her forehead to her head and that was an extreme case and actually that woman was terrified of even getting in touch with the memory retelling the story so she this was nearly impossible for her of course in the trauma work the the first phase is retelling the story and reviving the, the emotional flow because one of the things that happened to us in a traumatic experience is that we stop we block the flow of emotions we don't want to feel we don't want to be there we we are not there we are not present which is already a hint or a point that makes presence achieved by higher states of consciousness significant so beneficial she had to 
retell the story. And of course, this was incredibly difficult to her. Then we, we moved to the point in which, which is called the expansion. And what we do in expansion is actually a simulation of enlightenment. <laughs> because expansion, the, the very principle is that you we begin with a very confined sense of self, a very confined mind and a very a very limited experience of ourselves and then we we are beginning to to dissolve to remove the boundaries of the mind until we we experience a, a limitless unboundless state of mind when she did that when she went through that process she was able to look again at, uh, at that experience with this tremendous sense of self completely wide she felt that she she was able to to finally uh, confront it and to pour presence to actually be there and i know that this sounds uh, almost fantastic but in but what she could experience at that moment was to, uh, to feel again or to feel for the first time a sense of unconditional love a sense of connectedness that actually healed her after two sessions she was finally able to uh, empty the psychological content of that memory. And you think that if what might have happened had she not had that experience, she would carry that with her as traumatic stress for the rest of her life. She may have gone to develop PTSD and all of the medical consequences of that. So it's so powerful to know that these these transcendent experiences don't just take us to these places. They can help us heal these parts of our lives that are suffering. I'm just so curious what your personal experience is when you're having one of those transcendent experiences. I'm, I'm assuming you do that when you meditate in the morning. I'm assuming you meditate in the morning. I don't know that's true for sure. But um, <laughs> when you meditate, where do you go? What does it feel like to you? Well, it, it depends because transcendent states of consciousness, I, I would say that there is a, a certain fundamental state that is uh, ongoing or that that, uh, that remains uninterrupted throughout the day. And then there are a deepening uh, a transcendent states of consciousness or, or a certain variety of states of consciousness. Sometimes you can experience a universal love or compassion, and sometimes you can have certain extraordinary perceptions. Fundamental state, which is ongoing, is a state of limitlessness. This means that usually, for, uh, for the most part, we experience our mind as if it were uh, limited to the region of the head, you see? And it is limited to, to a degree that all that the way we experience our mind is confined to a, to a bundle of thoughts and emotions keep moving in circles within our head. But then if we could imagine that for a moment, imagine that these boundaries of the head have been dissolved. And all of a sudden, the, the sense of mind, the sense of, of consciousness flows in, in every direction, uh, uh, flows through the walls, flows uh, uh, through the ceiling, uh, breaks through the, the floor, and, and is everywhere. The, the easiest way to, to get in touch with this feeling, by the way, is if you, get, is if you come into contact with the sense of I am. We all have this sense, basic sense of I am, right? Because where we say I am hungry, I am tired, I want this, I want that. So, so at the root of it all, there is a sense of I am. Now, if we can uh, simply feel that this sense of I am uh, purely and locate it in the body, it may start as a tiny seed of I amness, a tiny seed of presence. But if we begin to breathe into it and, le and we, we let it uh, spread throughout our body, filling our body from head to toe, 
and then visualizing how it is pouring out of our body, surrounding the body, and then flowing throughout the entire universe, all the way to the edge, to the far edges of the universe. And, and, and then this is basically the, this is the fundamental state of enlightenment. This sense of being everywhere, and this sense also nowhere. It's everywhere and nowhere. And then the word you used earlier, I wrote it down in my notes over here, was when you were in that initial year, you talked about whether you would live in the quote-unquote infinite silence. What is that right. silence like to you? Well, infinite silence is, uh, is, first of all, I would say a natural state. And this is something uh, important to remember about meditation. Because ultimately, and perhaps here we are returning to the beginning of our talk, <laughs> um, we, in a way, our mind is already silent and the universe is already steeped in deep meditation. So when we are beginning to tune in to, to this meditation of the universe and the inherent uh, uh, silence of our mind, the spaciousness of the mind, we, we simply sink into, um, into space. So, so that space is like outer space. And outer space is always vaster than, than the many uh, tiny stars that, that, are, that are appearing it, right? So, so it's, it's simply being in this, in this state in which there is no time, no space, no I, no role, no identity, and therefore also no world. You see, no world in the sense of, of the concept of the world. So it is falling into unity. How wonderful to be able to just sit there and simply be, be part of that and be one with that. It's a, it's a proud experience. We'll be back with more after a moment. My name is Dawson Church. You're listening to High Energy Health. For more on Shai's work, go to his website, shaitubali.com. We'll be right back after a break. Hello and welcome back. I'm so glad you've spent time with us. I'm so glad you've exposed your experience and mind and heart and attention to something larger than the everyday stuff that we are all dealing with all the time. And when you make time in your day for inspiring media, for tuning in to a higher vibration of energy and of, of content, then you're opening up all kinds of pathways for happiness, for health, for well-being. So make high energy health part of your routine. And for more on Shai's work, go to his website, Shai, S-H-A-I, to Bali, T-U-B-A-L-I, Shai to Bali.com. So Shai, in this last part of our conversation, we moved from healing trauma We've also looked at these elevated states of being far beyond your local self. You have a non-local, endless oneness with you all it is, as, as, as far as the universe goes and further. And then when you come back, well, first of all, I think I want to ask you two questions. One, first question is, when you get back, how do you move from that elevated state into dealing with a package that was lost in the mail, a dispute with a friend of yours or a family member, a negative experience with a, a client, just all of the, the stuff, maybe somebody you know 
runs into you and dents your car. What, what, what do you, what do you, how do you then move back into the world to be able to deal with all of that stuff? Right. Yes. That's the million dollar question. Yeah. Because <laughs> <laughs> that, that's true. Now, the, the thing is that when I come down, uh, as it were, and, uh, and I need to face uh, things from my, from my ordinary consciousness, I need to, to begin to, to be able to translate what I knew at that moment into a certain practice or a certain, a certain way of, uh, of behavior, a certain approach to life. You see, so, so for instance, I would ask myself, if for that I knew uh, something with certainty, I knew that, that I was free, so how, how, would that, how would I behave if I knew that right now? So the thing is that, is that uh, of course, we're, uh, most of us cannot retain the broad state of consciousness unless we, we, are, uh, we have attained the, the state of the Buddha or Ramana Maharshi. Uh, what we need is to extract this knowing, this inner knowing, what we knew with certainty, and then try to behave this way. In this way, we are creating a bridge, a bridge between the broad state of consciousness and the, and the ordinary state of consciousness. If we don't strive and even struggle sometimes to act according to what we knew, the, this bridge will never be created. So we cannot rely on, on just having a, another broad state of consciousness that will dissolve once again. We have to create these bridges. And I know in your work, you emphasize the importance of integration because we've all known spiritual people, maybe great masters who were able to reach these elevated states. And then if you look at their daily lives, often they're in chaos, there may be um, all kinds of abuse going on and exactly. And it's the classic tale of the fallen teacher. So they were not able to integrate there those elevated states with with what's down here. So that's that's pretty powerful to ask to approach every situation with that question. How do I translate that state into what I'm doing right here on Earth? Exactly, exactly. You, you know, by the way, that that in the tradition uh, into which I was initiated, it is called the Siddha Yoga or the Nityananda tradition. It's a Hindu tradition. I I was told that traditionally you are not supposed to be teaching uh, before you have completed 21 years of awakening because only after 21 years do you uh, reach a, a certain uh, the, the, this level of, of integration this level of, of fully integrated being that has uh, that has absorbed its person personal traits into into the enlightened state so i think that this is a very humbling perspective <laughs> <laughs> go get enlightened then spend 20 days 20 21 years dealing with all the things of the world and then you are exactly it will be a teacher yeah that, that's powerful to realize that you need that integration period i know that every time i'm teaching meditation every meditation i teach ends with grounding and really anchoring yourself back here and you want to both be out there and know how to come back here Shine exactly so much for all of the information all the inspiration that you have shared with us i really appreciate you and your work stay out there and stay doing it on the physical level as well. <laughs> <laughs> yeah all the best well thank you for listening to thank you. thanks for making it part of your week make sure you bookmark the page and keep coming back here it's been wonderful to share with you come back next week for more till then i'm your host dawson church be happy and be in love with life every moment. Thank you.